Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Wow, Josh, it's number 50. This is the 50th episode this year. That's almost 100 hours of content that we've been putting out all year long. I just show up for the music. I just be energized. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Uh, guys, welcome back. It is the 50th, 50th, 50th episode this year. Um, as you guys know, we usually do two hours. So we're looking at almost 100 hours of content. We've, we've kept it short a couple of weeks, but uh, we're somewhere around there answering mortgage real estate questions. So we appreciate you being here. Appre appreciate the support um, that you guys have uh, graced us with and continue to grace us with every week. So thank you for that. Um, but this past week, Josh, latest data today, pending home sales down 4%. Woohoo. No big surprise there. Um, we've got what? The the 10 years actually shot up quite a bit from, from the last couple of weeks. How's that affecting interest rates? Um, interest rates are holding really well. So we've talked a lot here on the show, Jeb, about the growing spread all year between mortgage rates and the 10-year treasury. So 10-year treasury is up, mortgage-backed securities are off. Um, I wouldn't read too much into it. We're not going to know anything about the direction of the market until the first part of January. Essentially, for the last week and a half and continuing through the rest of the year, there's about five people actually trading bonds. Uh, and apparently they all want to run things higher. We ended up today at 386, almost 387. Um, and mortgage bonds were off another 22 basis points. But I had a loan that um, we were looking at locking last week, didn't. Um, and mortgage bonds are probably 100 basis points worse, which would normally be about a quarter percent in, in interest, and it's hardly moved at all on our rate sheet. So uh, lenders are, are looking at it and realizing that those spreads are going to be coming down, but probably more importantly saying, uh, we're not super worried that this is going to hold. We had talked about, we thought on the high end, we would stick at about 3.62 and we've broken out of that range, but not a whole lot of reason to, to read into it. Um, we're essentially oversold at this point and would expect a uh, correction uh, in rates once the market opens back uh, at the beginning of January. But as you and I keep talking for the last six months, everything has been about inflation and inflation primarily as read by core CPI, which mm -hmm. we get that, you know, what the second week of January. So yeah. we'll have a better handle on it. Then we've shown the chart 18 times. The expectation is absolutely for month over month to be in either the 0.2 to 0.3 range. And we have a 0.6 falling off, I believe, uh, for last year at, at this time. So you're going to see continued improvement. 0.6. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. It's a big it's, number, a big number to be replaced but, by a little but, number. But the one thing to keep in mind, guys, is the Fed doesn't meet in January, right? It's one of their months. They take off. And so uh, if for whatever reason, you got a, a, a big spike in inflation, that would not be good for, for the market. Um, but again, a lot of this is built in, right? The Fed's already come out. They've done their little dot plot uh, chart. Uh, you know, expectations are kind of built in in the market. So as long as the market does what, you know, the traders are expecting is what the market's expecting, um, then you don't really see a lot of volatility and, and things kind of move along, if you will. So, but like we've said, you're, you're not going to see a lot of change in December housing market versus January housing market of, 
of 2023, although the data is going to continue to get worse just because of the way it's reported year over year. Uh, so just keep in mind, you know, don't get caught up in the headlines. Just pay attention to what your market's doing. And, then, you know, the market's really going to be telling as we move in through the spring, which at this point, three, three, four months from now. So um, that's where we're at. But uh, Josh, um, I was going to say something and I completely forgot what it was. And uh, that's just a summary of uh, the year ending, I guess, if you will. Yeah, no. And housing is uh, is going to be dictated and driven by interest rates. Interest rates will tell the story. Yes, it appears as though for the foreseeable future, rates should continue trending lower. Um, we've we've sort of beaten that up. Um, inflation should be coming under control. Interest rates should be improving. And if that's the case, it's going to put a floor under the poor doomsayers' calls for a, a crash. If rates were somehow to um, catch fire and continue increasing, inflation doesn't get under control, um, that would be your case to see home prices depreci really depreciating. But Jeb, the thing that we talked about here, um, we can count with affordability at low levels due to high price prices and much higher interest rates than where we were a year ago, volume is going to be down. There aren't a lot mm -hmm. of sellers and there aren't as many buyers because there aren't as many people who can afford to buy at the current prices. Yeah. And understand when we say inflation getting under control, we're not talking about inflation dropping the 2% target, you know, the Fed's 2% target in, in January or February. We're just talking about that core CPI number, that headline CPI number actually trending downward. Um, and because of how they do their year over year calculations, right? You take each month, you add it, right? Or you multiply it by 12, however you want to, well, you got to add it. I guess you can't multiply it by 12 because each month's a little bit different, but you add those number over 12 months, that gives you your, your CPI number. So the expectation is that number is going to continue to go down every month. Um, it, you know, it's, it's still not going to make your groceries any less expensive. You know, the things that you're buying on a daily basis are not going to go down child, you know, everything that you're paying is, is still going to be inflated. It's still going to be hitting your pocketbook. For the most part, you're just not going to see the increases like we've seen over the last couple of years. It's important, Jeb, what you said there's very important. If we have a year of 10% inflation, which we didn't, but we were approaching that seven, eight percent at parts of the year, if it goes down next year to two percent. Prices did not go down. You have 2% on top of the 7, 8, 9% uh, appreciation or uh, inflation. So it's not something that immediately corrects itself that makes household budgets any better. Um, but what when you look uh, at the charts over time, what happens when inflation is trending up, interest rates are going up. When inflation is trending down, interest rates are going down. And we definitely appear to have peaked, even though inflation is at much higher rates than any of us are comfortable with, than the government, than the Fed is comfortable with, definitely appears to have peaked and to be trending down, which should bring mortgage rates down with them. The ultimate, you know, end result of where we get down to will largely play out in terms of what happens both with our economy and globally. If we got a heavy recession, rates could go down low, lower than people expect. If the market has the so-called soft landing, maybe we're somewhere in the four and a half to five and a half percent range when we, we finish up with uh, the improvement in rates. And, and so Josh, if you have a new buyer calling you today and they want to have the conversation thinking about buying a home in in 2023 what does that conversation look like not in the sense of you getting them pre-approved let's let's kind of skip over that but when when somebody says should i buy now right should i wait what does that conversation look like we we don't we haven't really had this conversation offline but we talk about it a lot in different contexts and and answering different questions but 2023 is going to be a different year right than 2022 um in, in many facets with regards to 
inventory with regards to home sales, with regards to home prices, rates, inflation, it's it's going to look different. So having that conversation, what are you asking that potential buyer or um, what are you commenting to that potential buyer to kind of help guide them? I, you know, one of the things that we have always talked about here is having a longer term time horizon. Want to make sure that they're not thinking, hey, I'm going to own this for a year or two and move up, move somewhere else, get married, have a kid. What does your life stage look like? What does your career look like? Your relationship status, your family status in terms of family size. Do we have a, a longer term time horizon? Because I don't see any reasonable expectation of, of five, six, 7% annual appreciation over the next couple of years, maybe the next three to five years. So absent that, you want to have that longer term horizon where you can pay the mortgage down, where you can get some slow, steady appreciation and have some equity built up if and when you're ready to move. So what I like to tell people is in 2021, in 2020, late 2020, the conversation we're having here is you really can't afford to wait. If you want to buy, you need to get out there now because we don't know how rates are going to, how long rates are going to remain this low. But more importantly, month over month, we're seeing one, one and a half percent increases in home prices. If you're in an area where homes are $700,000, that's $10,000 every month you wait. You cannot save nearly as quickly as home prices go up. We're not in that market anymore. I think home prices are going to be relatively stable, probably low, low single digit appreciation next year. That's what most people's forecasts are for most markets across the country. You need to do your research and know where you're at in your market. But if that's the case, we don't have any urgency to buy. If homes go up 3% next year, what is that? Uh, a third of a percent a month? It's not really an appreciable month over month change. So, so what do you say, Josh, to the person who says, well, if you, if you think home prices are, are potentially going to move sideways and you believe that interest rates are going to move down, why would I buy today? Why, why wouldn't I wait three months for interest rates to, to go down or, or you know, to hit that 5% number? And, and by then, house prices, let's just say, I, I think home prices could go down, right? I think you could see declines 5% maybe 10% in some markets that were over appreciated. And, you know, that's going to be different for different markets and, and where the peak in prices were and all of that. But why would, there's people out there saying, well, why, why don't I just wait? Why would I do that in January? So how, how does that conversation go? Unless you have a crystal ball that tells you home prices are going to go lower. If your life stage says it is the right time to buy, I would be in the market looking for the right home. If you say, hey, I'm going to be really picky, and I want to make sure I'm getting a good deal on a home or getting a home in a really good premium location or a home that's super upgraded, by all means, be as picky as you want. There's no urgency there. But I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think anyone else does. If rates continue to trend down, you're not going to see depreciation. But we already said if rates were to creep up for any reason, home prices can absolutely come down, especially in the, the excessively appreciated markets. So if you're there and that's a concern, if that's a super heavy concern of yours, you're probably not in the right life stage of, of being committed to buying a home. You're thinking about buying a home, you're interested in buying a home, but you're not committed to doing it. So it really comes down to where your head is at. There's no way to, for someone to tell you that's a wrong thought or you're looking at it the wrong way. Uh, it's just a way of looking at it. If it's a big fear of yours, stand aside. Wait, wait the entire year, come back in 12 months and let's see what happens. Cause I don't think home prices are going to be much higher. I don't think they're going to be much lower. 
but you'll have another year of clarity of what's going on in terms of inflation, interest rates, and, and all that fun stuff. Another year of people calling for a crash. Um, yeah, didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but um, I think it's, I mean, these are good conversations to have because these are the questions that people want to know. But you mentioned something. I mean, the thing that we always talk about, the longer term time horizon, I can't tell you how many DMs I get through Instagram, through TikTok, through different platforms, even even here on, on YouTube, people emailing me or whatever, saying, hey, listen, I'm 20, 22, 24, whatever the age is, doesn't matter, saying, hey, listen, I want to get into buying my first investment property, getting into buying my first home. In a couple of years, I want to sell it and I want to buy another one. I mean, really, that is the mindset. And that's going to be tough to do over the next couple of years, in my opinion, just because of what Josh said. I think you see, I think you could see home prices not really move up or down big in any big way for a number of years, just because of what we saw over the last couple of years. Now, with that said, does that mean we can't go up 5%? No, doesn't mean that at all. Does it mean we can't go down? No, doesn't mean that. I'm just saying the average over the next couple of years is probably going to be pretty flat just because of what we've seen. So when you're thinking about buying a house as a first time home buyer, somebody that plans to live in that property, make sure you're taking the time to realize, you know, what, figure out what's important to you now, where you see yourself in five, seven years, because, you know, as I've talked about on, on this channel before and having conversations with buyers, you know, oftentimes we talk about what somebody wants. It's two bedroom, three bedroom, whatever the number is. And they start looking and then for whatever reason, they can't find what they're looking for. And this goes back to, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, somebody that we helped on the show here uh, that I wrote 20 plus offers were for, they wanted a two to three bedroom property. And there was a time during that process, because it was so difficult to find it, they were willing to consider a, like a one bedroom property. And I was like, don't do it. Do not buy a one bedroom property. You're going to outgrow it. Guess what? They're already at the stage now where they're outgrowing the property that they're in. I mean, I just talked to them, what, a month ago at, at my annual um, client event, and they're like, we're already outgrowing this property. Had they done it the other way and bought the one bedroom, they'd be screwed. So you've got to look out a couple of years, realize what's important. And and you might have to make sacrifices in some areas of, of buying a property, even in a market that's not going crazy, just because there's going to be less inventory out there. It's not going to be, you know, just because the market's moving sideways, just because interest rates are higher, doesn't mean a lot of inventory is going to come to the market and, and people are just going to be giving away homes. That's, that's not what's going to happen. Um, you're going to have less inventory on the market because there's less inventory on the market. It's kind of one of those things that we talked about in the past and because of affordability, um, and that's going to be the name of the game for 2023, in my opinion. So just just make sure you're doing the right things for you, not for anyone else. And um, and and, and if buying for the right reasons and, and assuming all of that, historically speaking, you know, what we've seen historically works out, then, you know, you're, you're going to be just fine with regards to real estate. So, Josh, should we get some questions? Yeah, but if these guys don't step up and ask some more questions, we're going to be having wings early tonight. We can just, you know, we can just chat. Uh, we do have some people already hollering, hollering, hollering at each other in here. Um, Jacqueline, a uh, real estate agent, Arizona, maybe, uh, I believe, just reached out and said that she's going to be back in March. Would love to connect. So I am here, not going anywhere at the moment. Uh, I heard that story last time she was coming to town and she had way too busy a social calendar to stop by and visit. 
I don't remember the reason. There's there's people that reach out all the time. Actually, uh, John, uh, you know, buddy from Phoenix uh, that we did on the podcast, and he was here like a week ago, and he was like, I want to reach out when I get there, and he was here. He was busy. I never heard from him, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, Logical Thinker says, uh, typically, how long do mortgage lenders require borrowers' funds to be seasoned when purchasing a home? So, Josh, do all loans require seasoned funds? What does that mean, and how long? So the actual term is sourced and seasoned. It should actually say sourced or seasoned. So um, in terms of it being seasoned and usable as your own funds, we can't have large unexplained deposits. So for most loan programs, most account types, we're looking at two months of statements. So it means generally anywhere from 60 to 90 days of seasoning so that it doesn't show up on the second statement. Because remember, you I, I may ask you for two months and it's uh, two months of statements and we're 10 days away from the next statement. Well, the statements that you provide are gonna go back 80 days. So if we see a $100,000 deposit and you had $5 in there before, the lender is gonna rightfully wanna know, what's that $100,000? Did you borrow the money? And is there some undisclosed debt that we need to know about the payment? Um, did you rob a bank? Might you be going to jail? Um, there's any number of reasons why the lender is going to want to know that. Now, if that money is there, does it have to be seasoned? No, maybe your mother gave you $100,000. Maybe your uncle passed away and you inherited $100,000. There are other ways that are acceptable to source those funds. So it's more appropriate to say that it needs to, either needs to be sourced or seasoned. And the seasoning does not mean that it magically becomes good at a certain point. It means that the lender is not gonna require you to provide 12 months of statements. So because we only need two month statements and in some instances only one month, um, it just needs to not show a large deposit on the statements that were required to have in the file to document your assets. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, let's see, Miss Shadow Lama. What is a normal monthly amount for escrow to increase annually? Our total mortgage amount, including escrow, went up monthly $199.47, 8.93% year one and 9.6% year two. So Josh, why would your uh, escrow, your impounds increase annually? So for us here in California, you should never see a change like that. We have Prop 13. Your property taxes are limited to going up 2% annually. So when an underwriter underwrites a purchase for a borrower in California, they cannot look at the current owner's tax rate. So let's say you buy from a sweet little old lady that bought her home in 1972 and it's assessed for $48,000 and you buy it for $948,000. Her taxes are going to be 10% of what yours are. So if they qualified you based off of her taxes, like they do in other states, because they're not going to change year over year or not change significantly year over year, they would be understating what your payment is. And you may not actually even qualify for that mortgage. So the fact that you saw an increase this large tells me that you're outside of California. And that can happen when home prices go up a lot year over year. And the assessor's office is reassessing homes to market values um, in a fairly timely manner. So um, I, the things I would love to know, what state are you in? What's the, the value of the home? How much did homes go up? Um, does your state have much of a homestead exemption where some of that is shielded from uh, assessment? Um, 
because absent that, what what are what is changing there? If you have a fixed rate mortgage, that can't change. We know you borrowed X dollars at X percent interest over 30 years, 20 years, 15 years. So that has a fixed amortization schedule. The piece that can change is, did your homeowner's insurance increase? We've seen this in areas, Jeb. Um, big flood comes through and no one wants to renew policies. And to get your yep. insurance, it goes up from $200 to $500 a month. That could be all of it right there. So was there a large increase in your homeowner's insurance? If not, was there a large change in the assessed value of your home? Those are the only two things that should be able to change. Absent that, someone made a mistake in managing your impound account, which we see those um, not, not frequently, but not that infrequently either. You know, it, it must be that time of the year for for increases with regards to impounds and escrows and all of that, because we've got a handful of comments here um, that were around that. Some of them are comments. Some are just uh, questions in general. But Darren says my mortgage lender raised my mortgage by 25 percent in year two on a 30 year fix. Turned out the previous owner had a senior discount for taxes and I underpaid my escrow. So um yeah, you got your supplemental tax bill is essentially what happened there. And they increased the taxes. It sounds like it maybe wasn't increased through the lender. Uh, and then you have what? I saw another one here. Um, Josh, what was it? Uh, Tiffany came in and said, my escrow went up because my county taxes went up, which is another thing to be aware of in your mortgage calculation. So we're, we're definitely seeing a pattern here. I mean, these are things that we rarely ever get, but it seems like the, uh, the lenders are reassessing those escrow balances now because taxes were paid or what have you. So yeah, just, you know, your, your lender should be having these conversations, guys, um, up front. You should not be surprised with, I mean, if your property value goes up substantially and you're outside of California, then obviously that, that's something you're not really going to be able to control in, in how your property taxes increase. Uh, many states out there have uh, homesteads that keep them from increasing more than a certain amount. Again, if you're in a place that doesn't have a homestead, then not something you can control. But places like California, places that have these uh, exemptions on how much they can go up, your lender should be talking about the idea of impounds and, you know, these potential increases or what have you. And if you're in California, your lender should be talking about supplemental taxes to some extent. You should be having that conversation that, hey, listen, you're going to get another bill at some point after you close talking about, you know, there's another, there's, there's additional taxes um, to be paid. And if they're impounded, you should be fine. The escrow company should pay it. But again, these are, there. there's a lot of newbies in the business that don't even know what supplemental taxes are um, to begin with and, and not having those conversations. So it's, it's, uh, it's a reminder to make sure you're working with a pro. She, she followed up and said, it's Tampa, Florida. First year increase was property tax. Now homesteaded second year was property tax. Both years had a shortfall. So property values in Tampa increasing fairly rapidly. Um, you can always ask them to show you how was it calculated at closing. And if they say, well, it was based off of the previous owner's tax rate, then they're, you're going to know where you started from. And you say, okay, cool. Can you show me what the assessor's office did each year with my assessment? But that's the the most likely cause is, is generally the property taxes. And occasionally it can be homeowner's insurance. All right. Uh, Alex says, is, is talking about longer term time horizon. Any thoughts on how migration patterns are, will be affecting the housing market across the U.S. So this is the only prediction I have. Um, and this is not a political statement. Just understand it. It is. It's happened over over the, the past. Um, people will move out of 
states that are uh, have a majority controlling them. Um, states like California, for example, um, where you have a super majority in the state making decisions and there are people that don't like that. Right. And so they're going to move to states that don't have that. And typically what we're seeing at the moment is people moving from blue states to red states uh, for that very reason. Outside of that, people are always going to migrate to areas with with better weather, um, you know, uh, you know, coming down from, you know, Canadians coming down to, to, to the lower part of the U S people, you know, New Yorkers moving to Florida, all of that's going to be natural progression of, of people moving. But outside of that, I don't really have much, um, in the way of, you know, what I think is going to happen. Josh, what do you think? I would say the same thing. What have we seen migration wise? A lot of people going to the Southeast for two primary reasons better weather and lower home prices. Well, home prices throughout the United States, but definitely in the Southeast have gone up. So some of that affordability has has gone away. But for whatever reason, young people like um, sunnier, warmer weather than colder, snowier, wetter weather. So you have that piece. You, you also have people leaving high tax states. Forget red versus blue, high tax states, um, high home price well, states. Well, that's kind of one in the same, right? I mean, yeah. without saying it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, it's a yeah. nice way the, the states like Tennessee that have low tax states, Florida, no state tax, Tennessee, no state tax. I mean, these are people, Arizona, no state tax, Texas, no state tax. I mean, that's the migration. That's where people are going. Now, they make it up for it in other areas. A lot of times it's property taxes. So it's not just a, a free, you know, move to, to, to avoid taxes, but that's typically what you see you're seeing happen. So, um, but with all of that said, guys, and all the headlines you read, California still has a lot of people here, right? I just saw another uh, headline that, you know, the, the the exodus from California was severe. I'm like, it doesn't look like it to me. Uh, <laughs> there's so many damn people here. Like you can't do anything. So we need more severe migration out of the state. Um, and people always ask, well, who's buying homes there? If everybody's leaving, who's buying homes? Do you realize how many people are here that don't own homes? And how many people, like the net migration isn't nearly what the, uh, that the migration numbers report, right? They, they never report what's actually coming into the state um, to, you know, it's because that's not a sexy headline, but yeah, there's less people uh, coming in than are leaving, but it's still guys, we, there's still too many people here. That's, that's the, the real deal. So, so leave. Yeah. So, so yeah, make it, make it uh, better. The freeways suck. Uh, let's see. Get some more questions here. Uh, Jeb, Jeb yep. more importantly, let, we'll get to Hayden's question. Yep. Hayden's a good gentleman. I like his question. But did I tell you, I don't know if I've spoken to you since then, we went to see the Mavericks in downtown LA. And downtown LA is uh, undergoing some gentrification. So you'll have Skid Row and then like the next block over, a couple of really bitching old hotels have been redone into hipster hotels, yep. really nice theater. So the show was at the theater at the Ace Hotel. Well, it just so happens for those of you who are Netflix viewers, a quarter mile over on the very next block was the ah. Hotel Cecil. Oh, yes. So we stopped by and checked out the Hotel Cecil and it it's is been every, redone. It's redone and closed. Well, so it was okay. very, That's very, was very, saying. very, very minimally redone and attempted to be brought out. And then they came out with that documentary and the, the place rapidly shut down. So there's an interesting, maybe not interesting California story that if you're downtown Drive by the Hotel Cecil. It's just as creepy as it looks on the show. <laughs> uh, we were going to get to Hayden's question, but then somebody gave us a super chat. So, Hayden, I'm going to have to pause on you for a moment here and go with Ray. 
Uh, thanks for the super chat. Found a property on the MLS for 200 days in February of this year. Wishful sellers, 900,000 purchased it for 750. Got the terms I wanted. 16,000 and closing costs, hero program, 56,000 solar paid off to do the work. Uh, that's my point, not to brag. Okay, so Ray just gave us 20 bucks and told us a story. So, hey, listen, property sitting on the market for an extended period of time. Those, if you're, if those sellers need to sell, those are the homes you want to go after, right? I mean, but they have to have a need to sell the property. Otherwise, you, you, you know, getting somebody to negotiate is going to be difficult. But in this case, it looks like you were able to uh, to make it happen. So congrats. Congrats on that. And and remember, so Jeb, you talk about motivation of the seller. Some sellers are just crazy. Maybe, oh, I mean, we, dude, trust we've, me. seen, we've seen houses where that house was never 900, not going to be 900. Um, one of my favorite stories here in Huntington, there were two lots on Main Street back in the 90s. And I said, I want to buy one of those. But the guy's nuts. He wants $500,000 for him. And he was nuts. <laughs> he was nuts, Jeb, for so it long. It totally wasn't. That after seven years, he got what he wanted for them. And the people that bought them and put homes on them are very happy that they paid his insane price. No, it, it, exactly. It was it was nuts until somebody uh, didn't think it was nuts. And now uh, you look at it and think it was nuts that you didn't buy it because it's yeah. gone up so much. Yeah, no, that's that's how it works. I mean, I, I, I told you guys the story about my neighbor who priced their home for one, two, and I thought it was worth one, one, and it sold for a million seventy five. Right. So there's another one. Same community. Uh, similar floor plan, but this one's a three bedroom instead of a two, uh, similar square footage. It's, it's low. It's like 12, maybe 1300 square feet, uh, priced at a mil. It started the market at a million three ninety five. a million three ninety five. thing needs to be fully gutted for one at the height of the market in say May. Let's just say if it got its peak price, it was never one four, right? So they've they've reduced that property down. I think today it sits at one, two. So it shows a $200,000 price reduction. In all reality, home's probably worth a million one fifty ish. So it's probably gonna have to reduce it a little bit more. Um, but just, I mean, if you look at that price reduction, you think, "Holy cow, these people are giving the property away." No, th these idiots overpriced it by two hundred grand at least to start. More, so, if you Jeb, look at what it's actually worth. So the the moral to the story is don't don't look at discount to what they came on the market at look at discount to last sale. If you're trying to say, oh, this neighborhood dropped X, find me a similar comparable sale that sold for more. And Fair. that's well, what well. you've seen in terms of, of a drawdown. We hear people all the time, oh my God, homes in my neighborhood are down $150,000. Well, cool, show me what that is. Like, no, you had an idiot in your neighborhood that was asking $150,000 too much and sold for what the home is actually worth. That's not to say that there's no areas where homes have, have decreased, but we're seeing a lot more of those wishful sellers who are actually motivated getting realistic and that, you know, selling at market value versus some sort of big decrease in home values. Now, and Hayden, we're getting to your question right after you guys hit the thumbs up. There's 115 are you of you watching. Are you this. holding his question hostage? I have 115 people, people watching. Answer? I mentioned the start of the show. Many of you guys weren't here then. This is the 50th show this year, almost a hundred hours of Josh and I's time. Uh, just giving you guys free information. So, Give us, give us the most thumbs ups we've seen this year. How's that? That would be a nice present to end the year. Uh, but let's get back to Hayden because we promised Hayden this question about 10 minutes ago. I was paired with an agent through my previous lender in my April pre-approval. Nice to work with, but has only been in the industry for seven years. Any benefit in finding someone more seasoned? Um, seven years is a reasonable amount of time to be... Yeah. Um, a real estate agent. Uh, you know, they've been 
through not really a down market, but they've been more than just the pandemic years, which I think is important. So do you need to go find out a new a new agent? It depends on on how you feel. I mean, if you feel like the communication's there, if you feel like they have the ability to negotiate on your behalf, they can answer your questions, they know the market that you're in, then I don't think you necessarily need another agent. Uh, but if, if, if one of those things is lacking um, in any way, then go out and find somebody that you feel more comfortable with. If not, just have another conversation. Call another agent and see if you get the warm and fuzzies from that agent that you're not getting from, from your current one. And if so, make the move. Um, otherwise, I, you know, I don't think seven years is, is uh, you know, showing a lack of knowledge in the market, but it's it's more about having the conversation and, and seeing where you stand. So, and I, I would say, Jeb, I, I work with agents who've been in the business for three years and are on top of their game. And you're like, I don't know how someone could learn that much in three years. That's impressive. I know people who have been in the business for 20 years and you're like, how can you be that dumb having done this business for 20 years? So time is not a good proxy for quality. But like Jeb said, if you're getting feelings that um, they're not great at negotiating, they're not on top of the market, presenting everything to you, being able to advise you, why is that home priced at that price point? And is that too high? Is that too low? What's reasonable to expect? How can we make offers? They, they should give you the warm fuzzies from, from that end. And if they're not, then find someone new. But I, I wouldn't worry about seven years not being enough to be a pretty darn good agent. Dude, completely off topic. I don't even know how this thought popped into my head, but I spent two, almost two and a half hours of my life, life last night that I'm never going to get back. I watched The Glass Onion on Netflix. Just happened to be searching Netflix. I look at the cast. You got Edward Norton. You got, uh, I mean, like good actors in this thing, like top notch actors in, in this Netflix production. And I think this has got to be good, right? And it starts off, starts off great little murder mystery, like, you know, tech, tech guy, private Island. I read an article afterwards. Some people think it was, you know, they're making fun or whatever of Elon Musk, but nevertheless, dude, the ending, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it. That wants to watch it. Maybe paused it halfway through because it was two and a half hours long, but the ending sucked. So back on to going to real estate question. Just wanted to get that out there. I needed to. Like Do you want to go vent. back to real estate? I, I have another market we can talk about. I mean, I just wanted to vent because. Okay. Because you're not getting two, your hours two back. Two hours of my life. Two and a half. The first thing I do when I go watch a movie, Josh, is I look at the time. If it's over 90 minutes, I say, I don't know if I can sit still for 90 minutes and watch a movie. But last night, I said, I'm going to do it because the the cast, the cast was great. <laughs> you Little should. did I know. You should have. If you guys have seen time. it, I want to know: Am I crazy? Was it good? And I just was watching something. You know, was I watching the wrong thing? Anyway, we're going back into to real estate questions. Sorry, guys. You should That's have invested happens. your time in watching George and Tammy. Is what you should have watched. George and Tammy. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But hey, is that do like you know? Who, is that like you know? Who, is that like you know Tommy George and, and Tammy are? No, do you know who George and Tammy are? <laughs> I don't. It's George Jones and Tammy Wynette. They did a whole mini series oh, on them okay. on Showtime. You know, they couldn't have been any worse than what I watched. Oh, just it's saying. awesome. It's I mean, excellent. I'm just saying the bar is really low, Josh. Yeah. Uh, I'm four hours into George and Tammy and still enjoying it. All right. Brandon has uh does he has he has a question? I have a house being built and ends in 90 days or so. I want to back out because I feel I am underwater the minute I move in. Another house near me, not selling for a hundred thousand lower. Should I wait? It's a good question. Um, you know, it depends. I mean, here's the thing is. Is your deposit refundable? 
or is that something that you're willing to walk away with? If you walk away from that deposit, are you in a position to rebuy something else if you find the right property? Um, you know, a hundred. If it's truly a hundred thousand dollars less, that's a big. That's a big number. Um, unless you're buying a three million dollar property, then it's not really that big of a deal. But uh, if if it's you know seven eight. I mean, even a million dollar property, that's 10% less. Maybe try to renegotiate, go to the builder and see what they say. Like, listen, hey, list, this house is listed for this. Is there anything you can do to help me out? Cost-wise, payment-wise, uh, price-wise, and try to negotiate and then make the decision. It's, you know, I I think looking at the underwater scenario upfront is hard, right? Because there are people that are going to be underwater that purchased in 2020. I do believe if you're buying, again, for the right reasons, you have that longer-term time, horizon you're going to be fine but i understand that's a tough thing to swallow right going into the property so i would try to to have a conversation and see what could be done and you know if you're you know kind of draw that line in the sand and if they're willing to work with you great if they're not because you're always gonna you know wonder what if right if the value goes down further you're gonna wonder hey should you know should i have not move forward with it. And if you get in and you don't do it and prices go back up or something sells in there and brings the prices back up, you're going to wonder, well, what if I did do it? So I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. It's all about what's right for you. So Brandon had a follow-up. He's yep. got 18,000 in upgrades so far. So deposit upgrades, you lose that. there's, yeah. there's, there's money on the line there. And um, with the hundred thousand dollars, where are we seeing that? Are they in the same development? I mean, the sellers, the the builders are usually very good about giving concessions to avoid price reductions and not selling for a lower amount. So it sounds like most likely there's been a few phases and someone who bought in an earlier phase is selling for a hundred thousand less. Um, I would like to know that it's in the same development, similar um, floor plan, similar square footage, similar upgrades, because there can be huge variations from one house to the next in terms of someone buying just the bare bones and doing no upgrades versus someone buying the model that has every upgrade under the sun, buying from the seller, uh, reselling in, in the market afterwards. So it'd be important to know those things to know if you're actually going to be 100 underwater. Uh, I was reading your comments, guys. I appreciate all of these. They're, they're fantastic. People think, I guess I should have liked glass onion. Um, Blair, Blair says you're just wrong. Blair says you are. And wrong. that's glass okay. Onion like, I, you know, I, maybe it wasn't as bad. I guess I was expecting something. I, I was expecting a much better ending. That's really what it was. It was really good until like the last probably 20 minutes. Um, I just thought there was going to be a more in-depth story and there wasn't. And, uh, but this comment came out and I thought this was probably just fantastic. I mean, probably the best comment of the night and i haven't even seen the rest of the night at least i didn't wait waste two hours of my life watching reventure consulting i thought I don't he retired who that is. i, don't I thought he retired and and took away the joy of of silly manipulated numbers every week. I, th- I mean when you've been wrong for two years it's uh difficult to keep that going but who am i to say you know uh probably get some hate comments here in a moment uh let's see sarah Having a difficult time finding a lender. Last time I saw a new construction home, the builder had a high builder fee and other fees, decided to wait and save money. So I'm going to do you one here, Sarah, and help you out. There is a link scrolling at the bottom of the screen. Go to that link. Happy to refer you to somebody in your state that can guide you through the process. Josh, I don't know. I need to find out the number of people that closed using a referral from last year nationwide. I know 19 people closed using a real estate referral that I that I made out of state, uh, some in state of California, 19 people closed using that, using that same link. 
I don't know what it is mortgage wise, but it's a lot more than 19. But I would be curious to know if there's a way to find out. Um, be be interesting. If we could reach out to uh, to that network and and get a state by state number it would be fantastic. We can give it a shot. But anyway, guys, uh, check that check that link below if you need to get referred. Keith, how much will my credit score get dinged if we get pre-approved but don't end up buying? Josh? Not much. And it really varies on your credit score. So someone with a 625, 630 credit score is going to get hit more than someone with an 800 credit score. And it's a very temporary blip. The other thing to remember is if a mortgage inquiry, any mortgage inquiry within a 45 day window is treated as a single inquiry. So if you talk to one lender and you want to talk to another lender or a builder makes you cross qualify with their lender, do it within a, a 30 day window just to be safe, but they're all going to be treated as one. And that if you have good credit, it's going to be a three to five point hit. And within 90 days, 120 days, you will have those points back. The folks that need to be worried are on the lower end of the credit spectrum. And more importantly, if you had a bunch of other inquiries, if you went out and you had a couple car inquiries and the ones that will hit you as multiple inquiries are credit cards. So if you applied for three, four different credit cards for a consumer loan for a debt consolidation, what the model is looking at is saying, hey, no one's going to take out very few people are going to take out more than one mortgage. A lot of people might take out two, three, four credit cards. So this is someone looking for credit. And if you're on the lower end of the spectrum, you've probably already have a high balance relative to your credit limits on other cards. And if you're looking for more credit, that's where it's going to have a much bigger hit. So if you're thinking of buying a home, you probably have your finances under control. You have a good to very good credit score. It's not going to make much of a difference at all. And within 120, 180 days, you'll have fully recovered. So I wouldn't worry about getting pre-approved now and then not buying the, the benefits or the advantages of having certainty and knowing what you can do now today outweigh the small hit to, to someone with a good credit score. All right. Uh, let's see. S. Gives, S. Gives, uh, can a village sub suburb potentially pass an ordinance to prevent short-term rentals? Yes. Yes, they can. Um, Josh can give you an example. Uh, owns a, a investment, second home, whatever, in, in Rancho uh, Mirage uh, out in Palm Springs. And they passed an ordinance, what, a couple months back, Josh? Six months, maybe? Yep. Yep. So we are no longer allowed to do short-term rentals. It's going to be 28 days or longer. Um, and it makes a pretty big impact. And it'll be interesting to see what it does to values out there. What I can say is once we get past the first part of the year, we get a lot of snowbirds in the desert. They want to get good and cold before they come spend a month or two in the desert. So longer term, short-term rentals, 30 days or more are pretty common. So I think that the traffic will pick up out there, but I've been out there a bunch, you know, from Thanksgiving here through Christmas. And I can absolutely say in Rancho Mirage, there are less people in our development and some of the other developments around us um, just because you can't rent for, for less than 28 days. So uh, it can have an impact on values. It can have an impact on the income that you can generate. And for us, our weekly rates are much higher than, were much higher than what our monthly rate is for, uh, for renting the property. So absolutely, cities can and will uh, pass laws restricting the use of your property. And a follow-up question, what uh, would one consider when buying a potential rental property? I'm assuming short-term rental, but let's just kind of talk about it in general. Like, if you're buying an investment property, rental property, what should you be concerned with? 
Well, I think they're asking specifically here about the Bears planning to move to Arlington Heights and building a stadium. And Jeb, we we have experience with that here within the last five years. I had several people telling me we're buying in Inglewood, we're buying in Hawthorne, buying all around where they built SoFi, where the Intuit Dome is going in for the Clippers. Um, The forum was redone there. Super tons of gentrification in the area, lots of development, other entertainment besides the stadiums. And those values have just gone nuts. They've gone nuts everywhere, but they've gone more nuts. So I would look and see um, what what else is going in with the stadium. I would want to know for sure, not potentially that the Bears are moving there. I would want to know for sure that the Bears are moving and what kind of development they're bringing with them um, and, and what you can do in that area. I don't know that it's a it's a great direct corollary here for us just because it all coincided with the market going up big it was sort of uh an accelerant on top of something that was already going up i don't know that we're likely to have that but i don't think it would hurt if you have an area that's getting some momentum and and upgrading and and turning over over time and then you get big industry like uh, a stadium coming into the area it certainly could improve the values good 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 um Let's see here. Brianna. Brianna says, would you recommend a USDA loan in the current market in California? So uh, I, I don't I mean, what, what's a USDA loan? What's what's the pros of a USDA loan, Josh? You get uh, can purchase up to 100 percent financing, right? No down payment required. Right. It has to be in a rural area. So it has to meet USDA guidelines, which we're not going to talk about here. But is, assuming it meets those guidelines, you can purchase up to 100 percent financing in some cases. You can get, even get your closing costs covered if the home appraises for more than your purchase price on the property. You can use that excess to go towards your closing costs. In some cases, coming in with no money down. What is the risk of that? Well, the risk is that you're buying in a market that's probably going to move sideways, slightly down, slightly positive for the next couple of years, which means if you need to sell over the next couple of years, there's a really good chance that you have very little equity in that property and could end up being underwater. And if values go down, you bought it at hundred percent financing, you could be underwater on that property. That's, that's the risk that you're taking in, in using USDA or any loan that has a minimal down payment. But with that said, Josh, we can give you several scenarios of people that have bought 3% down, three and a half percent down, 0% down using VA or different types of financing that have now 30, 40, 50% equity in their property because they bought with a minimal down payment because they didn't have the money for the larger down payment. And, you know, they bought for the right reasons in their life. They hung on to those properties and now they're sitting in a good position. Now, does that mean the market favored them? In some cases it does. But some of these people have, you know, again, bought, you know, the the story of of your, uh, of of Angela's uh, friends, you know, Kim's parents that, Bought at the top of the market in 06. They were underwater for years. Well, now they still own that property and they're sitting on a ton of equity. So it's all about buying for the right reasons. I'd be less concerned once you know the risk about, you know, what's going to happen in the market and just worry about is it is it the right time for you to buy that home? The, the biggest thing, anyone asking that in California, there are very, very, very limited areas that are USDA eligible. Um, and they are relatively far flung and away from jobs. 
So um, would you be comfortable living in one of those areas and would your job enable you to live in one of those areas and commute or telecommute? So those are the important things with USDA. It's a great loan program. Jeb did a wonderful job of covering the pros and cons of it. Um, it's just we don't have a lot of areas left in, in California that are USDA eligible. Yeah, because it, it has a, a population um, limit on it. You you have to be to to be deemed rural. I, I don't know. I can't remember the the population limit off the top of my head, but it has to have you know can't have more than a certain amount of people living there. And in California, you know, we're pretty packed. Um, even in some of these what are considered rural areas, it's still you know um, take the the. The Bakersfields of the world and some of these markets. I don't even, is that even USDA at this point, Josh, or is that still Fresno? Some of these markets, I mean, are those USDA or not? Most of them aren't. Most yeah. of those areas that you traditionally think of, but some of the further out areas around there. So you can be Bakersfield adjacent, Fresno adjacent um, to a degree, but you, you, if you're in Fresno, is the population's too large? You're going to have and, to get. A and the reason out. that's important is because. You know, those areas like Josh mentioned, there's less people, there's less companies moving there, there's less population growth. All of those things affect home prices, right? I mean, if you look at the majority of the United States, a lot of them saw more appreciation over the last two years in in their markets than they've seen over the last 20. Just And that's the way that it, that it works. So, you know, if you're in one of these markets that really didn't appreciate, you know, prior to the pandemic, didn't see a lot of growth, um, you know, and you're moving into a market where you're likely not going to see a lot of growth anyway. These markets are are going to be um, less impacted by big declines in the market, but they're also going to be less impacted when the market appreciates a lot. So, you just got to make sure you understand the risk when when doing little to no fine, you know, down financing. Jeb, on that same topic, so Brianna asked a really good follow up question. Adelanto is USDA. This is a good discussion. There's not really a question there, but is it worth moving to a less desirable area for home ownership? And there's not a right or a wrong answer. It's just, and if you've, if you grew up in Adelanto and you're comfortable and you know the area, no problem. You know, back before the crash in about 2005, my brother-in-law looked out and saw, Hey, I can buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars in Adelanto. And he bought it and it went up to maybe 140 before everything went down. And I think he ended up selling it for about $110,000. That was after like 10 sets of tenants in seven years, three of them obliterated and destroyed the place. So just know your areas, get with a good realtor that knows the areas, knows the quality of schools, the, the crime rates, everything. And again, let's not make this, I'm not saying bad things about Anilanto. I don't know. I know my brother-in-law's experience there. And I always tell people you have, you, you can't look at relative prices. You can't say, Hey, that's way cheaper than where I'm at. So that is affordable or that's good. You got to ask, why is it cheaper? First off, it's way, way, way out there. Very hot, very desert like. And um, for whatever reason, it's just there's there's some issues that come along with it. So by all means, we are huge proponents of owning homes here. Um, I would be careful about doing anything to be able to buy a home. Great. Uh, a Ramos, how does home building and a recession affect prices? So we talked about it before. Typically during a recession, we're already, you know, we Technically, I guess we're not in a recession at the moment because um, the definition is somewhat changed. But nevertheless, employment still uh, remaining pretty strong. Uh, but what we've talked about in the past is typically as a recession comes, home builders start 
building less property, right? We've already seen home builder sentiments down, what, 12 months in a row. Um, and, and there's a number of properties that have permits pulled on those properties, about two months of inventory, in fact, where builders are just aren't building those properties, right? And they're not likely to build those properties until something improves with affordability, something improves with the market that shows that, hey, listen, it, it, it's worthwhile to, to continue building these properties. So in a recession, you're likely to see less home building activity um, unless it's already started. They were going to finish it. Uh, and in recession, what happens house prices during a recession? I think it's seven of the last nine, if I remember correctly, Josh, home prices moved sideways. Um, yep. Two of those recessions, home prices uh, went down. Uh, 08 was one of them. But in, during those two recessions, the uh, the the housing market is actually what caused the recession. Um, and so in this case, you know, we're not in that position at the moment. So I think, you know, if we're talking about what happens now during a recession, I think home prices remain pretty stable. That's what we've talked about. Uh, builders, again, I, I think are probably kind of sitting back just watching to see what's going to happen before uh, before adding any new um, inventory adding new, any new communities that weren't already under construction. But Josh, anything you want to add on that one? No, it, I wouldn't be sitting here thinking there's going to be some monster opportunity. If rates stay high, people aren't going to sell. So we'll have lower sales volume, fairly stable prices. It goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show, Jeb, like buy when the time is right. You are not capable of timing the market. Um, there's nothing out there telling me that there is a huge, massive risk that you have to stay out of the way, have a long-term time horizon, buy the best home you can afford with good long-term financing, hope to be able to refinance a couple times along the way and get that payment more affordable and stay there and build some equity. I like it. Really, really solid advice. Uh, Blair, Blair Burke Halter, who loves the glass onion says, if your realtor is super pushy on getting you to buy sooner, is this typical or do I need to tell them to back off or get a new realtor? Having uh, been saying this spring for a few months now. So <clears throat> uh, anybody being pushy in any business isn't uh, fun to deal with. Doesn't matter if it's real estate, car sales, whatever. Uh, I think it's important to have the conversation. You know, if you like your agent outside of, of that, have the conversation and say, hey, listen, I feel like I'm being pushed to to buy this home. I'm not ready. I will let you know when I'm ready. Uh, but, uh, you know, some agents are just uh, follow up is, is you know, that that's they, they do follow up and it can seem pushy just because they're constantly following up and checking in and, and all of that. They're being pushy in a way that that seems overbearing then, then find a new agent, right? I mean, you should, you should be comfortable with the process. You should be comfortable with that agent. You know, you shouldn't have somebody, you know, getting you to buy a house. Typically pushy people come because they need a sell um, versus those that, you know, are financially stable and have a surplus of business, you know, want you to make the right decision for yourself and are less pushy in those cases. But, you know, real estate is sales, right? And so people in some way feel like that, that they need to be pushy in order to get people off the fence when, um, you know, not all buyers operate that way. So you got to do what's right for you. 
as as a salesperson in the housing industry, I want you to be comfortable during the process. Absolutely. It's uh it's a stressful process under the best of circumstances. If I'm pushing you and you're feeling extra stress, then it is unlikely that you're going to be comfortable, have a good experience, and that's going to spread to all of us. You know, what what I'm telling people in the current market, I wouldn't necessarily set my heart on, hey, I'm waiting till spring. Hey, I'm waiting till summer. Say plan on buying in the spring or plan on buying in the summer, but keep your feelers out there. Keep your eyes open. Something may come up that makes all the sense in the world for you. And beyond that, no one should be pressuring you other than to say, hey, is it okay if I send you some properties now in case you see something that really strikes your fancy that may or may not be available later in the spring and summer? Good advice. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Rick. Rick says, are there certain loan types that are designed to make monthly payments more affordable for potential buyers? Josh. Really, the thing you're looking at is a, a 2-1 buy-down. There's things called graduated payment mortgages. No one does them anymore. So a 2-1 buy-down, an adjustable rate. If you're looking at a 5-1 or a 7-1 arm, that would have a, a lower payment. Um, but those are the things. I mean, how do we get a payment lower? We have a lower interest rate. How do you get a lower interest rate? Instead of a fixed, you take an adjustable. Um, you do a buy-down where the, the rate is paid, so basically subsidized for the first one to two to three years with the hope that either your income is going to increase or that interest rates will decrease over that time frame, and you'll be able to, to refinance. But there's there's no free money. There's no magic. Those are what? the two primary tools to be able nope. to to manipulate payments. No free money, man. Serious. Uh, Christina Smallhorn. Hey there. How are you? Another real estate channel you should go check out. Miss Smallhorn there. My question, Jeff. My favorite leave, other leave, YouTubers, Christina. Leave leave Christina up there. I see yeah. this beautiful pink halo around her, and then I see this this pink halo around your head. Are you trying to copy Christina? Are you trying to steal? Not, do her I have style a pink? I don't print? have pink anymore. Do I? Is I have violet? Is that, no. Oh, no, you mean no. right now? Yeah, right now. You oh, you you have the maybe. little you have pink halo in my inner you. Christina. Trying to be Christina. I see how you are. Hey, look at that. You know, just pink pink pops a little bit more. The blues, greens, they all work. I try to change it up. Uh, anyway, thanks for jumping in there, Christina. Let's see what we got, Josh. We got a couple more minutes. It's Josh's wife's birthday tonight. So Josh is going to be bailing. She's 24. 24 years old. Josh, she's half Josh's age. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Advice for a 24-year-old trying to buy property for the first time. I ignored the state because the state doesn't really, it's, it's, around. yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really it doesn't matter. matter. Um, <laughs> advice, budget, focus on a budget, right? Um, focus on saving money, focus on what's important to you in a property. You know, if you've got a stable job, you've got some money, you know, saved, you're, you're, you're you know, you're stable, you got job stability, start talking, you know, to a lender, have, go through the pre-approval process, see where you stand. Um, that conversation could lead to things that you need to work on. Um, it may lead to you being pre-approved and, and ready to buy a property. But I think those are the things that you need to start with. The budget is number one. And, and if you don't have a stable job, um, you don't have any money in the bank, then don't have the conversation with the lender yet. In, in my opinion, I mean, have a little bit of, of that, or, you know, maybe you can have the conversation, but just don't lead with the expectation that you're going to be buying soon. Right. I think, again, there's uh, this idea, at least at the moment, because 
there's so many videos on it, you know, of, of house hacking, of buying first home at a super young age. Is it doable? It's absolutely doable, but you got to have those things in place. Let, let me piggyback on that, Jeb. So first off, go back. One of the very first questions we answered tonight is just have a long time horizon. Make sure you're you're just stable in all areas of your life, your employment, your relationship, your family situation. You, you don't want something to change there that makes you sell shortly after buying. But that house hacking thing, Jeb, I get a lot of calls all the time. Hey, um, I've got uh, money for a down payment. I got perfect credit. I don't make that much money, so I'm going to have to rent out a couple of rooms. Problem is we cannot use the income from the other rooms to qualify you. If we have it on your tax return after a couple of years, you could use it to refinance. Um, you could use it to buy another property, but you can't use that to qualify to buy the home. So it's a little bit more complicated. It's a great tool for making home buying affordable. Once you get into a home, my nephew bought a home last year, rents two, two rooms to his buddies, makes the payment super reasonable for him and he's building equity, get some tax benefits and they get a cool place to stay with a friend. Um, but it's not as easy as the YouTube videos make it sound. What? You're just blowing my mind. I'm, I'm going to double. Mind. I'm going to double blow your mind. Christina came back and said, "Jeb wants to be a cool girl." Like that's Christina. not. That's not blowing my mind, dude. That's truth. That's truth. I want to be a cool girl. You guys are. You guys are insulting me. So I'm changing the color right now. Jeb, I'm Jeb, changing the color. I don't want to be a cool girl. Jeb anymore. identifies as a cool girl, and now he wants to change and identify as yeah, something. She, something she different. her. She yeah. hers what I did identify when I started. I'm changing that. And now you're going to he him or or they them? I don't know. They them is where I'm going. Okay. It's I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. It's good to be beige. He's gonna put a I, beige I, light on I, the I don't mean I don't want to offend anyone. I don't I have no idea what that means. When you go multi when you go plural. Like I get the she him, she I mean she, her, he him, all that. You go plural, dude. I you lose me. Like I'm 42. I don't understand that. That's but we're going blue. We're going blue because that's what we're doing. Anyway, I probably lost some people tonight and offended some people. And I'm sorry if I did, but I was just being honest. Um, all those people that like the glass onion, I'm sorry about offending you there as well. <laughs> um, it just, you know, I had a, a moment where I just wanted to talk about um, the two hours that I lost. Okay. Uh, let's, any final questions? Let's just get this one here, Josh. Uh, buying a home in Northridge, California for 1 million. Closing escrow January 3rd of 2023. So right around the corner. Congrats on that. Appraisal came in at 1.2. What can I do with that moving forward to help my payment or getting some cash for improvement? So $200,000 more than they paid for the property. Is there anything they can do with that excess equity, if you will, um, in, in order to help their situation? First off, this has nothing to do with his question, but it's Alex Rosas. And I thought we had Axel Rose with us. But Ooh, it Axel Alex, Rose. It's Alex Rosas asking the question. Welcome to the jungle. So no, the, uh, the, the, the question is, or the answer is, there's not a lot you can do with it because that appraisal is specific to that loan. So if we wanted to do a HELOC, um, if you want to refinance, you have to wait six months to use the appraised value on most loan programs. So you're going to go off the lesser of appraised value or sale price until six months. So if the appraisal is accurate and you could get one at the end of six months, you could potentially get rid of your mortgage insurance. Um, any number of good things can happen there. Now, in terms of getting a HELOC, that lender is most likely going to go off of your purchase price 
or they're going to get an appraisal of their own. So in the short run, it doesn't do a lot for you. If you think it's valid and you got a smoking deal on the property, it will absolutely help you in the long run after six months when you get another appraisal and lower your interest rate, get rid of mortgage insurance, any number of things. But in the short run, it's not going to help you a lot. You know, I think this is a really good comment to to close with tonight. Um, as many of you guys know, we normally do two hours. Josh's wife, she has a birthday today. She was born this day, 24 years ago. It's amazing. 24 years ago. 24 years ago. And so he needs to go spend time with her. But this is a comment that I think is worth uh, putting out there. Uh, Alex says, good thing about recessions is that it makes for a good time to buy if everybody else is afraid of buying. Great for negotiating. That, there's that quote, right, that, you know, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And I think 2023 is going to present opportunities for those out there that it's the right time in their life to buy. So if you're one of those people, just focus on that, have that longer term time horizon, and you'll be setting yourself up for generational wealth uh, long term. So we'll be back next week. Actually, next week, I'm supposed to be snow skiing in, in, in the mountains. So I don't know what's going to happen with next week's episode, but we'll make it work. Better take your hotspot with you or something so you can get online. You know, we did 50, 50 episodes this year, guys, live. So if you haven't hit the thumbs up, do that. Either way, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the support. Appreciate you being here every week. We'll be back um, in 2023 to continue helping you guys become educated home buyers. Until then, adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.